Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, today we're talking to somebody that I reached out to. A lot of times guests reach out to us, but I reached out to Tamara because I loved her book, Wildpreneurs, so much. Um, Wildpreneurs is, is basically the word entrepreneur uh, with wild in front of it, kind of, you know, smashed together. And what it is, it's about, it's a her book, by the way, it's a practical guide to pursuing your passion as a business. And for Tamara, specifically, her family would take her on these big adventures. Her mom and dad would take her and her brother on these huge adventures every year. They, they, they eventually wanted to do something adventurous career-wise together, so they opened up this lodge down in Mexico after a, an awesome trip down there, uh, kayaking, sea kayaking, and it's the Tailwind Jungle Lodge. They've been doing it for almost, gosh, 20 years now, and after just learning about this experience, how long it took, how many challenges there were, she wrote a book about it. And I love the idea of taking what you love and it becoming what you do. Uh, it's very hard to do that. I've been honestly attempting and trying to do that for the last, well, ever since I got out of college. And in a weird way, it's led to what I do now here at Athletic Brewing. I still do this podcast on the side, and it's just an ever-changing journey and experience of learning. And I really enjoyed this book. And for uh, to celebrate the book and to help get it out there to listeners' hands, we are giving away three copies of the book. Tamara was gracious enough to give us three copies. Um, by the way, Tamara, happy Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day yesterday. If you want a copy of the book, be listening to this episode for a secret word that we're going to record and tell you at some point in the episode. You're just going to hear me basically say, all right, now it's time for that secret, you know, secret password phrase. And all you got to do is email that or send us a DM, a message on either Facebook or Instagram at Adventure Sports Podcast. If you email us, it's info at Adventure Sports Podcast. The first three people to do that, email us that word and the fact, you know, hey, I want a book. Here's that, you know, secret word. Uh, you will get a copy of it. If for some reason you live in a country that we can't mail to that, you know, unless if it's like tons of money to mail you one, I'm just going to get you an e version of the book, a digital version of the book instead. Um, but we have three copies. Thank you so much, Tamara. Happy Mother's Day. Awesome book. And by the way, this episode kind of dives into peripheral things around the book, not necessarily the details of the book itself, because I want you to check it out. Um, so we dive into some things that the book necessarily didn't address, uh, as well as just some of the other things that Tamara has going on in her life. So really enjoyed it. Uh, and I hope you do too. Let's dive in. Hey folks, welcome to the show. You heard a little of Tamara's story in the intro. Now we're going to dive in. Tamara Jacoby, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Mason. I'm really excited to be on the show. By the way, I love your name. Do you get a lot of comments on your name? It's just when I say it out loud, I'm like, dang, that 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 that's such a cool sounding name, Tamara Jacoby. You know, I get it pronounced a lot of different ways in <laughs> stateside, but living in Mexico has brought some clarity because everyone just says Tamara. And Tamara. so that simplified things a bit. Yeah. We're gonna get into how you ended up there, but I really want to dive into you grew up in a very adventurous family. You are a second generation adventure sports podcast guest because most people we have on the show are your parents. They're the first yes. one. I don't know if your parents were, were raised by adventurous people too, but a lot of people on this show 
they found it on their own. Does that make sense? They didn't. They grew up in you know very standard household. They climbed a mountain or something, and they're just it was they were lit on fire. You grew up in a house basically of people who were guests on this show. Um, what was that like? Was it just normal for you <laughs> to go out and do these crazy long adventures, like two three month adventures, not just weekend things? Yeah, th- I love that you're asking this question, and you're exactly right. My parents were the adventurers, and you know, you think about nature versus nurture. For them, it was nature. My my dad and my mom met in Alaska. My dad was a sauna builder up there, and he swept her away and immediately started taking her on extended trips to Mexico, and and from there, raising myself and my brother as kids their idea of a family vacation was to climb the volcanoes in Mexico mountaineering or we did many long distance trips where we were either bikepacking so carrying all of our stuff on the continental divide Um, I think we went from Jackson Hole Wyoming to El Paso Texas on bike these were all during my teen years mostly and then another one was we kayaked the length of the Baja Peninsula again carrying all of our own stuff and just kind of pushed off into the wilderness and took it one day at a time. You never know where you're going to sleep. And I guess that was our normal as a family, but I'm not sure that I would have come at that as like on my own. I'm not sure I would have gotten there. I think that it was nurture for me. And I'm so grateful to my parents for pushing me to do all these incredible adventures. And now as a parent myself, I'm kind of wondering exactly the path forward. It sounds like you have two little people exactly the same age mine are one and three and so I can now appreciate how challenging that would have been for my parents to (laughs) to you know not bribe but strong incentive to get us down the trail it is it is a challenge some days because we live near the beach similar to you when you're in Mexico and some days it's a challenge just to get them down there uh for a few hours and it's like just moving heaven and earth and so, yeah, when I see these parents doing like the Great Divide mountain bike route, like your parents did, and just things like that, I'm, I'm absolutely blown away. But I want to figure that out, how they did it. <laughs> were they the oddballs in your community growing up, or were they? Were you surrounded by? Because it? it was in Vermont, right? So I actually grew up right on the border of Vermont and Quebec, and so we now call ourselves North Americans because my kids were both born in Mexico. But I met my husband in Colorado and I grew up in Vermont, but I went to school in Quebec. And so we're just all over the place. But it definitely wasn't the norm in the community where I grew up for people to do these adventures. And so my dad especially is just such a dreamer and he is happiest when he's out in the unknown. And so for him, he, you know, we kind of had a budget. And so it was traveling on a shoestring and also how can we get out there away from the crowds and just explore the unknown. And so he would read the occasional article in outside magazine about some random trip and okay, that planted the seed and, and it would take years for him to kind of save up the money to do it. But he'd collect the gear and we'd ask for sponsors when we could. And, and he was amazing at pulling it together. So I, my dad's name is El Tigre Tiger and I, I give him a ton of credit. Do you, how do you think he would have fared in the social media age? <laughs> well, don't tell him this, but I'm not sure he would have loved it all that much. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he has a hard enough time with his Kindle. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. The Kindle. <laughs> the old Kindle. That's hilarious. It, was there one of those experiences that maybe stood out to you as far as impact versus the others? Because I mean, they're so varied. 
and different links. Was there one that really you'd say had the biggest impact or shifted the needle most to you? Yeah, that's a great question. And they all were so diverse and different and they pushed me in different ways and really pushed our family to come together as a team. And I think ultimately the Baja trip that I did, which was actually, I think I was 21 and it was right after I graduated or yeah, it was right after I graduated from Middlebury College in Vermont. And I had, you know, just been a part of this vibrant social scene in college. And I had just taken a class called Entrepreneurship 101 and wrote a business plan for this jungle lodge because my parents had actually recently purchased this blank canvas of jungle. And of course, at Middlebury, as an econ environmental studies degree, I kind of had a very specific business plan with all the numbers, you know, and I had a vision for creating kind of a swanky lodge. And I had it all planned out in my head. And my dad said, okay, for your graduation and for my 60th birthday, we're going to the Baja for two months. You know, here we go. And so for the first week of the trip, I was really uncomfortable to totally disconnect, be away from the social world of college and just be in the raw wilderness of the Baja. I don't know if, have you been to the Baja? I never have. I've won. So I, my background's bikepacking. So I've done a lot of those classic bikepacking routes. The Baja Divide is one I'd like to do. Yeah, and, and I know you were on the coast, yep. We were kayaking, and yeah. So this was very different for me. I'd never really done any long-distance kayaking. We'd grown up getting in boats here and there, and we live on a lake, so I kind of knew how to paddle. But as far as, okay, we're going to pack up all the fresh drinking water we need to survive at sea, essentially, and not know when the next town is. There were some basic maps, but... It was really one day at a time and, you know, your survival skills start to kick in and you go back to the basic fundamentals of what you need. You know, you need a place to sleep, you need water, you need to get to a beach where you can land your boats. Yep. And so the simplicity of life was really powerful. And also the just being out with the wildlife and the stars and just it, being at campfires every night. And what it did, that trip really gave me time to daydream and think through my business plan. And that's the ended up being the first chapter of my book was Baja Daydreamer, because it just sort of opened up this incredible space for me to, to let the ideas flow and for me to talk more with my father, especially about, okay, if we go down this path of creating a family business on this piece of jungle, what does that look like? What's reasonable for us? You know, what do we want to create? And so to, to manifest and and just set our intention. And of course, that whole business plan that I had written kind of <laughs> got pulled apart and, and modified significantly. It was a good starting point, but I, I really needed to step back and reassess. And so the Baja was really powerful for me. So at the end of the Baja trip, we landed in La Paz and took the ferry across where we then just drove south a couple of hours from Mazatlan down to where our land is near Sayulita. For those of you who are surfers, Sayulita area is a fairly iconic destination. And we're actually near San Pancho, which is a slightly less chaotic town, although becoming more popular every day. <laughs> the secrets are getting out of these wonderful, quieter places, but there's always more to be found. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. If you know me, you know that I love the Florida Wildlife Corridor. What is that exactly? That is a network of contiguous lands that are connected that go all the way from the Everglades 
up to the Georgia and Alabama line. It's a continuous network of lands that animals use for migration. It encompasses nearly 40% of all of Florida, which equals 18 million acres. The good news is over half of that is already protected through conservation. The bad news is the other half, just under half, is threatened by roads and development. So the time to save this land is now, and that's why Live Wildly is so important. Live Wildly is an initiative to help bring awareness to and help folks take action on helping protect the Florida Wildlife Corridor so that we can ensure that Florida doesn't get totally developed in the coming decades. And Live Wildly's goal is to raise that public awareness to support the conservation of this Florida Wildlife Corridor. Because protecting corridors like this are not just good for the environment, it's crucial for the entire state's economy, local business, and ecotourism. You can follow them by looking up at LiveWildlyFL across all social media platforms. Go to LiveWildly.com for updates and how to enjoy and how to explore the corridor. Or reach out to me if you want to go on one of my paddle trips. I put one together every 8 to 10 weeks, and all of them take place within the Florida Wildlife Corridor. And I can't thank them enough for supporting this podcast because it's something that I spend my free time promoting. So thank you so much. And be sure to check out livewildly.com. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I want to dive into Middlebury. I work for a company started by an entrepreneur from Middlebury College. Class of 2005, Bill Schufelt started uh, a brewery, non-alcoholic beer, athletic brewing. Not sure if you've ever heard of it. Um, My husband beer. was just raving about it yesterday. No he kidding. Said he's really enjoying it. Yeah. No kidding. So we we uh, we started about five years ago and Bill was a graduate there. Not sure. I don't think he studied. I think he studied finance. Not sure if he ever took that entrepreneur class, but there's so many people that I've come to realize who've done these really cool things coming from Middlebury just randomly. I don't think it's the biggest school out there. You know, it's not a huge place, but so many connections are, are coming out. So one of my neighbors, uh, a podcast I listened to that I had no idea you, I didn't even know this when I wanted to get you on the show. I didn't realize till, till diving in and, and, and we only make non-alcoholic beer, by the way. So it's obviously a very different idea, but he took a few steps further than you. He went into that Wall Street job for a few years, you had the opportunity, you had the fork a little <laughs> sooner and didn't go that way. He did for a little while and realized, okay, now I want to dive into this. So <laughs> do you think there's something in the water there? You know, what's going on? It was it was an incredible four years of my life. Middlebury is a really special place. It is a very small, tight-knit community. And I have nothing but gratitude for the experience that I had there. It just empowers you to be a free thinker, I think. I think, (laughs) I think freely from Middlebury experience, just like your friend who started athletic or, and it sounds like you're working with them now. That's 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 my day. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got to have one of those. I also have one of those in addition to the lodge, which I'm looking forward to sharing. But yeah, you hear a lot of stories like that from Middlebury and my classmates have done all kinds of amazing things. One of them worked for National Geographic. Another one is the I think she's the director at Massachusetts Audubon. She's the bird girl. Um, And so beyond entrepreneurship, there's all different paths that Middlebury grads take. And they're typically not Wall Street, although some people do go that path. So it sounds like a lot of people there are making some sort of major impact somehow, which is really cool. And so let me ask you this. The idea for Tailwind, uh, you know, with a lot of adventurers, when they want to start a business or pursue this passion, 
it has more to do with the adventures. It, there, there's hesitance to pick something that that grounds you geographically or makes you know makes you stay in one place. Did you have other ideas you were pursuing? Maybe not a lodge, but a guide service or something that allowed you to continue to be more free spirited. Because it sounds like a lodge could be, it keeps you in one place for a while. That's a really good point. And it's one that I actually continue to grapple with now that we're almost 20 years in. I I think early on, I was only 21 when we started the business and I was just so focused on making it work that I don't think I thought much about, oh, I'm going to actually be living in the jungle indefinitely, you know, until I can figure out a way to maybe have work trade, which we have experimented with some different things. And that's a, that's a whole nother topic. But um, long story short, what I think has worked really well for us is we're a seasonal business. And so we are grounded in the jungle. Um, we open the lodge every season from October until May, and then we're closed in the rainy season. So we just close our doors. We let the jungle do its thing, which is a really great part of the sustainability picture that I like to have the wildlife just kind of restore its natural habitat, even though we do our best to minimize our impact. And it also gives us a chance to step away and go explore and recharge because hospitality is, is fairly exhausting. Even though the guests that we host are amazing people from all over the world, couples and families and solo travelers and retreats, and we just have a whole diverse array which has been really fun with our kids now getting to meet all these really cool people. But yes, I think if it was all year long, I would have burned out a long time ago. And uh, the fact that I get to close up in June, we head to Colorado. My husband works as a sustainability supervisor for the Telluride Bluegrass Festival. So we go get our boogie on and, and we just hop around a lot in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> I asked that question knowing that seasonality was probably part of the answer. But do you find that that's, I mean, yeah, you just literally said that that's what helps you not burn out. Um, do you find folks pursuing these things, like maybe taking the road less traveled like you have and not having an insight or not having that built in and they do burn out? Have you seen that? Absolutely. I think it's really tempting to have this wild idea and this romantic notion and go all in. You know, you. I think... People start out with a full head of steam and and you forget to breathe. Just like an adventure, you kind of have to pace yourself. You know, if you charge right away, you're going to burn out. And so being a wildpreneur is a long game. And really, I don't feel like we found the, the equation for how the lodge was going to work until seven years in. It took us a long time to really figure it out. And those adventures that we'd had really had taught us pers perseverance and you know, patience and getting gritty, just working through the, the challenges that just keep getting thrown at you. You, you have to be fairly tough because it's not an easy road. And yeah, taking time to recharge and maintaining that lifestyle that we love, even when you're an entrepreneur, I think that's part of the difference between just an entrepreneur and a wildpreneur is you're doing it because you love the lifestyle, you know, and you have to, you have to sustain that even through the challenges. And so that's, that helps you keep from burning out. What was your vision for Tailwind when you started versus what it is today? Was it what you thought it was going to be or is it just totally different? 
Well, I think we learned some big lessons right off the bat. I think we went into it. First of all, that original business plan I had was tossed and we said, okay, well, we're just going to build a few kind of treehouse style canvas safari tents and, and we'll just start with six or seven guests and let's just see how we go. And our first go was like an all-inclusive kind of guiding service where we, we picked everybody up from the airport and we, we did all their meals and we toured them around all day. And by the end of that week, we were toast. We were just totally destroyed. And so we had to have a family regroup and we immediately put in kitchens <laughs> to all the units. Okay, meal service is, is way too much work. You know, I think that uh, maybe the occasional meal, but definitely not all of them. And then we just started to find people to help. So local shuttle services, you know, other guiding services too, because trying to do it all is just, again, burnout is a real thing. It's not a smart choice. So we decided to focus on accommodations and kayak guiding we have done for quite a few years. And my husband is a passionate sailor. So we now have a sailboat that we like to take people out on, oh, awesome. although it's, it comes with its own set of headaches. Sailing is, um, it's a lot of work maintaining a boat. I've had a number <laughs> of them on this show and it's honestly scared me away from sailing <laughs> talking to them <laughs> i am not a sailor myself i am a happy passenger but yeah so the business has shifted over the years but i covid years was a really great time for us to slow down and and rethink and i think we're what we came away with is we're really happy with where we're at what we ended up doing over the seven years is getting to like the ideal capacity to host retreats so we have a, we can sleep about 16 people and we're able to shut down half of the year without having too many costs so we can make just enough to have a good lifestyle and host a good amount of guests but not have it be so much work that we're just drowning in it and it doesn't make sense financially um, and so I think from here looking forward we're just kind of trying to do what we do in an even better is to continue to refine our accommodations and focus on little details. And we just still love what we're doing. The lodge is small and sweet, and I don't think we're looking to change a whole lot. What What is, like, what do you go to experience, and what are your typical guests? Are they people on their own adventures? Are they people who typically live a high-octane life and are taking a break? Is it people just looking, you know, mostly laid-back folks? Like, what what do your guests, who are your guests? I mean, we see all kinds. And I think one of the big things is we don't have Wi-Fi throughout the property. So people come, they can check in at the office whenever they want to connect. But the idea is to disconnect from technology so you can reconnect with yourself and the natural world. And now, actually, we have we have Starlink now. So we do have the option to spread it through the property. But I think as a family, we've decided to keep our place sacred, if you will. We don't want people sitting around on their devices, even though we've had a million requests for, oh, I want to work from abroad. I want to come and stay, but I need internet. It's like, well, you know, it's not the place for you. Um, and so if you can imagine as far as the property goes, it's a fairly steep hillside. And so all of our places are stilted. And we, we say it's best suited for adventurers. So those who come stay with us have to be ready for quite a bit of stair, stair climbing, um, and then hiking to the beach. We have one little beach below us. That's about a 10 minute hike through the jungle. It's a really sweet little cove. And then the next beach over to the north is more like 28 minutes, 30 minutes. 
and it's completely deserted. It's one of my favorite places in the world. And it has this special kind of clay. It's bentonite clay that you can put all over your skin and you just feel so free and alive and wild and, and the beaches, it's the essence of the Mexican Pacific, probably how it used to be. And so we're going to try to preserve it as long as we can. You know, equally amazing is, and this, I can take no credit for it, but the community of San Pancho is a really special place too. The, the community center Entre Amigos, the woman that founded it, founded it right around the same time that I created the lodge. And the, the community was at a turning point. I feel like my family dis- discovered it kind of shortly before it was discovered by the masses. And so the community center has this incredible recycling facility and education for kids. And it's really brought together the international, like the expats that have come into the community and the locals. And the woman who started it received an award from the Dalai Lama as the leader of peace. And so it's been recognized um, in a big way. And it's a really special place. Were there other ideas floating around for what to do with your future, with all this experience? I, I know this is kind of going back a few questions, but uh, settling on that place, that location versus somewhere else. I'm sure that, you know, that have huge implications on your life and how you approach things. And it, it could have been a number of different things you chose to pursue in this way. Yeah, you know, I think because we'd had so many adventures growing up, we'd explored so many different places. My parents and myself, we recognized how special this little community of San Pancho and the coastline, how special it was. And we really wanted to put roots down. Did I have doubts along the way of my sanity (laughs) as far as the path that I'd chosen? Absolutely. But I think having family involved, you know, working with family comes with its own set of challenges. But because we were all in it together, we were great at picking each other up and dusting each other off and saying, here, we're, we're here together doing this. And so that kept me going through the doubts and made me feel very confident that I'd chosen the right path. That said, having it a seasonal business opened up opportunities to do some other things for the other half of the year, which is what led me to write my book. And that's been a really nice compliment to hospitality is having another creative outlet and a way to share and inspire um, and I've really loved being an author. It's been really rewarding. That's really cool. And, you know, it's funny. It has opened up other opportunities. I think every interview I listened to, pretty much you were in a different place <laughs> and, uh, saying where you're coming from. One of them was like on the, the streets of Philadelphia, walking up the Rocky Steps. And I was like, what in the world? Like I was listening to hear this story about this Mexican <laughs> retreat and she's in she's in Philadelphia with your baby, mind you, and traffic and, and doing this live walking interview. I thought that was the coolest thing. Um, that was a guest who had stayed at the lodge who invited me to be on her yep, podcast. I remember that. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's so neat. Like the, the, the connectivity of it all and how it, how it opens these doors you never thought you would, or just these opportunities, I guess. Did, did the, I, did the word wildpreneur come first and tell us, no. tell us thinking yeah. of the word. Cause that feels like something you thought of and said, that's it. Well, you'd think it would have happened fairly quickly, but for a while, I my manuscript was called Wild Entrepreneurs, and I think I kind of got tired of saying the whole thing and finally just shortened it. It's like, Wildpreneur, why wouldn't we just say that? And it wasn't taken. No, uh, but surprisingly not. 
and I also got really lucky with HarperCollins leadership picked up the manuscript, although finding a publisher was a journey as well. And yeah, fast forward, it's it's been out in the world about, well, it took me five years to get it <laughs> to become a book. And then it's been out in the world since my son was born. So it's three years old. I actually launched my book at the REI in Seattle the weekend that COVID hit, which was kind of a rough start. But it's, it's interesting how life has kind of a nonlinear way of working because my, my book did trickle out into the world and it seems to fall into the right hands, such as it's fallen into your hands. And also to the team at Thermal, which has become my day job and a team that I've loved being part of. And they found me through my book. I love that. So, so tell us about maybe some of the opportunities the book has opened, specifically Thermal. Tell us about that, because I, I know you wanted to talk about that, and I'm not actually super familiar. No, so Thermal's actually fairly young. Um, I've been with the team for two years. They invited me to join them. It was just during COVID times, and the lodge was pretty quiet. And the founder, Drew Patterson, reached out to me and said, hey, we're starting this company that's about using your passion as a vehicle to explore the world. I thought, oh, well, that sounds familiar. You know, tell me more. <laughs> and, and so they said, well, we want to start with surfing. And so when you think of a surfer, you think surfers are willing to travel to the end of the earth to discover the perfect wave. You know, they might be looking for iconic places or uncrowded places or whatever it is, but they travel specifically for their passion. And so we've been exploring different versions of thermal trips. Um, and I feel like we're finally getting to the point where, okay, we're getting it. And we're about to launch what we're calling thermal adventures. And, and thermal adventures are really a collection of the most brilliant legendary guides that we've found. And I'm sure that so many people listening to this podcast understand the value of, of traveling with a guide, although many people like to explore on their own. But when it comes to surfing, it's so useful to have a guide, you know, for many reasons. Are you a surfer? No, no, I'm paddleboarder. So uh, in a way, extremely slow surfing. Yeah, so I've been surfing many years. And I know when I roll into a new break, it's kind of nice to know where to go, you know, right. how to communicate with the locals, where to stay, X, Y, and Z. But so with thermal adventures, you're not just going with the guide that's showing you the breaks. You're, you're going to be part of the guide's world. Uh, one of our guides recently described it as rolling down the windows. And so instead of just passing through a community and surfing the wave, you're actually immersing yourself in the place and seeing it through that local perspective, which is, for me, that's like, cutting straight to the good part of a trip. Sometimes it takes a lot of legwork to figure out where to go and who to meet. And, you know, with our guides, who I am, I have become the community leader for our guides. And so I get to be the support person because I understand their world and the challenges involved with guiding. Um, but our guides are there to just give people that local experience, whether it's meeting the local board shaper or taking them to the best coconut stand or whatever it may be. Um, they, they give people really authentic, immersive experiences. And so we're getting ready to launch this special collection of thermal adventures. Wow. So if you want to go on a surf trip, <laughs> let me know. Well, you, do you think you, you mentioned you're starting with surfing? Do you think there's the possibility to expand into other sports too? 
And by the way, you Absolutely. asked, I'm not a surfer, but we have had some great surfers on the show. One, Laird Hamilton has been on the show. Um, two, yeah. uh, Malia Manuel. She's been on the pro circuit for a long time. Hawaiian, born and raised. But we've had had some surfing legends on the show. Nice. Well, I did a training with Laird, so I got to experience his him and his whole personality. We did a breathwork session. It was uh, an it was a like a hit high intensity workout training in Punta Mita with his wife with Gabby. He's big into breath work, and I told him I've been breathing my whole life, <laughs> so I'm not bad. But yeah, there's work to well, be and done. With, and with kids, whew, you got to breathe, right? And you got to make sure they are too. <laughs> Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. All right, the secret word you got to send to us if you want a copy of Wildpreneurs. We've got three copies to give away. The secret word, the password is manana, the Spanish word for tomorrow. Send us a DM on Instagram or Facebook or email me at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. Menana and the fact that you want a copy of the book. And if you're one of the first three people to do that on either platform, just reach out to us somehow. You're going to win a copy of the book. And if for some reason you live in a country I can't ship the book to, it's too expensive, whatever, we'll look at getting you like a like an e-copy of the book, you know, a digital copy so that you can at least get what you uh, what you're looking for. Again, that word is mañana, the Spanish word for tomorrow. So yeah, eventually you, you think it will be kind of adventure experiences yes. all over. Exactly. So we're just kind of figuring out how to best package these trips. So what are adventurers looking for? You know, there's the there's the adventurers that like to do it all themselves and they research the Airbnb and they, you know, they bring their gear and figuring it out as part of the adventures. And then there's the people maybe like you who have a day job and, and they're working a lot. And so maybe they just want to book it and go and know that they're going to go with the best guide. Um, and so the idea is after surfing to then go into other passions like snow sports, probably other water sports, um, cycling, it, the sky's the limit. And so, as I said, we're only two years old but we're really excited about what we're creating and uh, it's, it's become a passion of mine and I'm stoked to share it. So it sounds like this whole new branch of this tree, this wildpreneur tree has this thing called thermal that's come over the horizon since, since going on this journey. But it started with this concept of wildpreneurism where you pursued the road, less traveled, took these, passions of yours and turned it into your entire lifestyle. And there's all these cool opportunities that you just can't even plan to see when you're starting out. What has been some of the, besides opportunity for you that we've been talking about, what what has been some of the, the best or coolest feedback you've gotten about the book of maybe the effect it's had on people? I, it fills my heart when I get messages a lot through Instagram, people seem to reach out and say, Hey, I just finished your book. And I'm about to launch my business. And I just wanted to say, like, you just really inspired me. I get a lot of messages that are as simple as that. And simple, but profound. It, I feel like I did it. You know, that was my mission with my book. It's all worth it. Exactly. It's just an overwhelming sense of set, accomplishment, I guess. Just like summiting a big peak that you've been planning to summit for a long time. 
it's like the the culmination of a lot of years of training and hard work and effort and then all of a sudden you get this message that pops up that's like oh my god I made it to the top (laughs) but you know going back to why I wrote the book in the first place it had never really occurred to me to become an author it was more at the lodge about 10 years in I kept hearing this question from my guests especially when we were out kayaking we'd get into conversation around how I'd created the lodge with my family and they'd ask what I wish I had known and what I'd learned along the way. And, you know, I'd get the same questions all, all the time. And people also would share this wild idea that they had of this business that they thought they might create slightly different from the lodge, but, but similar in a lot of ways, you know, wildpreneurs are not just people that build a jungle lodge. It could be, a digital nomad like yourself. It could be a yoga teacher or a surf guide or somebody that's starting a food truck. You know, it's just a slightly unconventional way of approaching business. And so all that said, I had to have a chat with myself and say, what, what can I do to help these people and support them on their journeys? And that's when I went on my own little surf trip. Actually, I did a retreat in Nicaragua and I sat in the hammock and started writing and I kept going <laughs> and uh, worked with a writing coach and she helped me find my voice. And then once the manuscript was complete, she said, what do you want to do now? And I said, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it. I thought about just sharing it with my guests at the lodge. And she said, well, I think you should try taking it a little step further. And so then we went through the, the pitching to publishers and agents and all that jazz. Anyhow, I had ended up finding the perfect publisher for it. HarperCollins Leadership did a great job. I couldn't have taken it that extra step. Self-publishing for me would have been probably not realistic just because I needed some help to refine the manuscript and put it out into the world. And so now it goes beyond my guests at the lodge, although they're probably my biggest audience, my biggest fans. People come and ask for the book all the time. There's something you went into that I didn't foresee you going into in this book, which is biomimicry. And Maybe could you share about that a little bit? Or yeah, I love that you brought that in because I'm always learning stuff from nature and I love that you addressed it. Mother nature is the greatest teacher. And I have spent a lot of time in the wilds as I'm sure you have. And I know probably many of the people listening to the show have, and we have so much to learn if we let mother nature teach us, you know? And I think that's one of the things I'm trying to pass along to my kids is just to slow down and watch and listen and and be in tune to the rhythms and realize that the acorn, the oak tree sleeps in the acorn is one of the, my favorite things that I pulled from biomimicry of the book by Janine Benyus, I think is the last name. Um, but, and that can be applied to business too, is to grow slowly and steadily and not burn out, you know, things in nature, they have their own slow rhythm and, and that's a really sustainable way to, to live and to, to live personally and professionally. Um, and I think we live in a world that's just so high speed and I could go on and on about the challenges of trying to slow down. And that's a whole nother conversation. As an American, do you find that hard to maintain that slower pace? <laughs> you may recall in my book, I had a hard time in Mexico because I brought my fast paced lifestyle to Mexico and got really frustrated by their laid back manana culture. It's like, ah, everything will get done tomorrow. Which tomorrow doesn't mean tomorrow. That just exactly. means in the future. Exactly. At some point, yeah. It's eventually. But now I come to the US and I'm overwhelmed by how things move so quickly with social media and just in general, 
Um, and so I've become more Mexican over the years and I really appreciate that aspect of the culture there. Um, but just to pull back a little bit, just uh, why my book is kind of unique. I like to think it's unique in a lot of ways, but just for someone that's not familiar with Wildpreneurs, I really didn't want to write another boring business book that was like, how to, you know, start step one, because that's not how I learn. I learned, there are a lot of books at Middlebury that were not really a good fit for my learning style. And there was a lot of great material too, but I sort of realized, oh yeah, that's not how I learn. I learned best through stories. And so I shared my story as you've had a glimpse of the book, but also I pulled inspiration from other people's stories. So my book has about, I think, 50 interviews from different wildpreneurs all over the place doing all kinds of unique things. And I ask them what they wish they had known and you know what's been the most challenging aspect of creating their businesses. And so as I wrote, I pulled a lot of inspiration from them and I hope that readers will find that useful as well. It sounds like a pod, you know, like you essentially did a podcast, um, just read it, wrote it all <laughs> out, you know, did these interviews and wrote it all out. So that that's awesome. I think there is this shift with even American culture around entrepreneurism, entrepreneurialism, whatever one it is. Um, <laughs> what would you say one to three biggest differences of a wildpreneur versus your typical entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a great question too. And I think, you know, finding that sweet spot of when your business is, is just big enough to where you're happy and you have a quality of life but also that the business makes sense, you know, for financially and also for your community. And so thinking like triple bottom line, right? People, planet, profit, you have to make it sustainable in a variety of ways. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so I think wildpreneurs really keep that lifestyle in mind because it's tempting to, okay, I figured out a business that works. Why not keep growing? You know, I can make more money. I can, I don't know if you know the Mexican fisherman story, but yes. It's, yes. uh, you know, you can catch Amazing more fish. <laughs> you see it everywhere in Mexico. People, it's this huge generalization, but for the most part, a lot of the businesses in San Pancho in our area, they found that sweet spot where they're making just enough money, they have a great life, and they close their doors when they want to go surf. You know, it's not just about making money. Um, and I think that's why I love Thermal and the guides that I work with as well, is they get it they're not in it to make a million bucks. They're just, they're in it to share their love of the place and, you know, to make a living at it, but it's, they're working in their passion. I want to go all the way back as we wrap this up and ask, uh, how did your parents make that lifestyle work for you? Cause there's a lot of people out there that want to take their kids on these kinds of adventures. They want to find that balance of like not doing too much, but having the time. And I think it'd be awesome to hear how your parents achieved it when they did and how you're planning to achieve that too. Oh boy, that's a big question. Let me think about this. Um, as far as how my parents did it, I think they were smart in that we lived in a place where we had really strong roots. So we had a really comfortable home and my brother and I went to a really good school. Um, and so we had that stability, but then we also, my parents didn't hesitate to pull us out of school for, for our little adventure trips, even at a very early age. You know, we started our first bikepacking trip, I think we did, um, what was it called? It was in New Brunswick in PEI, and I, I forget the name, but it was a long time ago. I think my brother was 
seven or eight and I was 10 and we had our bikes fully loaded with gear. And I don't know if you have a vision of doing that with your kids, but of course, you know, we're carrying the sleeping bags. They're he- they're not very heavy, but it was, I think it was a 500 mile biking trip and we did it. I don't have any idea how my parents got us through it, but I remember the sense of accomplishment that at the end, just feeling like we did it, you know, and they were so supportive and enthusiastic. One thing that they did do that not all parents may agree with this strategy, but um, strong incentives. And so my dad devised this system where he would pay us (laughs) per mile that we bike, swam or ran. And, you know, when you're a kid, the payment you don't really understand the concept of money very well, but I understood that, okay, money buys us stuff. And so he would put the money that we earned into an account that we could put towards athletic equipment, <laughs> which fairly creative because, you know, he would have bought us that stuff anyhow, because he wanted us to be outside playing. But in our minds, we were earning these special, you know, the special gear. And so we earned ourselves skis and bikes and all these things through this system that he had devised. And so, uh, yeah. (laughs) Wow. I love that. My son, we bike like a mile to his play park that we play in and he's always wanting something new for his bike or whatever. And I can afford that, you know, a dollar a day yeah, (laughs) or whatever it is and just say, Hey, you're earning this. Like, like like you said, I'm going to buy him that stuff anyway when he needs it. But knowing that he has a hand in it. That's awesome. What did your parents do that where they were able to take off? So my dad is a builder. Um, like I said, he met my mom building. He was building cedar homes in Alaska, and he has done a lot of beautiful wooden homes on the lake where I grew up. And so when you paddle down the shoreline, it's, oh, he built that one, and he built that one, because all the neighbors knew he was the builder to go to. And so he could take projects when he needed them or, or you know, not. And I'm sure there was a seasonality to that as well. Although they would, they did pretty well having come from Alaska. When you move to Vermont, it's not quite so extreme. So in the wintertime, he would, you know, work inside. And in the summertime, if we were around, which we didn't end up staying around very much in the summer, we primarily did our adventuring in the summertime. Um, and then my mom did a lot of substitute teaching and special needs students. She was a paraprofessional she was also on the school schedule that aligned with our schedule. So in the summer, she could take off. I love it. So yeah, as I said, it was travel on a budget. I wouldn't call us a, a wealthy family, but we certainly have gotten lucky with land and and a wealthy lifestyle, just abundance. and Wealthy in the right ways, for sure. And I, I love to hear that. So um, to wrap this up, wh- what, are, what are some things that you're going to do differently with your lifestyle and your kids than your parents did? And what are some things that uh, you're just going to continue on because they, na- they they hit the nail on the head? You know, I, I give my parents a ton of credit for getting us out there into the wilderness and into the unknown. I think what I might do differently is maybe not push it quite so hard. We definitely had some moments on the bike trip, especially um, where we just pushed through and made ourselves unnecessarily uncomfortable. It was more about the destination than the journey sometimes. And I think we all just suffered unnecessarily. You start to forget how to enjoy the trip at that point, you know, just through sickness and terrible storms and lightning and just brutal experiences. They make you tough. 
but as yeah. a result, as an adult, I feel like I have a little bit of PTSD from some of that. And, and so I might not push my kids quite so hard, which maybe they'll be softer, but maybe they won't be quite so affected by some of those experiences in their childhood. Um, so I'm excited to get them out there, but I might be applying a, a little bit more gentle approach. Sounds like they were on the right track. Just a few moments here and there that really got you over the edge. But, you know, there's, yeah. I guess there's worse kinds of trauma to have. I don't know. It's, um... I mean, I don't think there's, you can't get through childhood without some kind of trauma, right? right? It just, if your you... trauma is on the continental divide surviving a lightning storm, that's uh, it's pretty badass trauma. And you, know, you think, <laughs> <laughs> well, Tamara, thank you so much. But was there anything else you just want to share with folks, listeners that might be thinking about? Uh, you know, making some sort of change. Yeah, you know, I've come up with my equation that I like to share, which is the three W's. If you listened into the some of the other podcasts I've done. So at risk of being repetitive, the three W's I would leave everyone with is the first W is make a wish. So, you know, be intentional, as you said, about how you want to live your life. You have to set your intention and then the way forward will show itself. But it starts with that daydreamer phase, that wish. And number two is the wildpreneur approach, which is you got to get gritty. And then whether it's a wild business idea or just a wild lifestyle, whatever it is, it's going to be romantic and it's going to be beautiful. And it's also going to be really hard. And you're going to have to get gritty to get through the challenge. And there's that no mud, no lotus mentality of like, you got to get through the mud to get to the lotus. And then the third W is wisdom. And that's kind of the holistic approach of, of putting love into what you're doing and being mindful of your community and your impact and sustainability and triple bottom line. And so that's a lot of information in three W's, but that's, that's what I would leave everyone with. Well, thank you so much for being on, sharing your story, talking about what it means to be a wildpreneur. It's different for everybody. Um, yeah, thanks for taking us on this journey. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Mason. It's, it's been a pleasure. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>